Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. So much of the big idea for this morning's message is about maturity and growth as a whole person, actually, today, not just as a person of faith, but what we just sang, what Isaac just said, um, that's another great marker of maturity. When you can praise God in your moments of gladness and your moments of sadness, you've done some work. <laughs> you've done some heavy lifting of life and faith. And, and I'll be even honest with you, I'm not there. Uh, sometimes I have a hard time praising God in the seasons of hard things or the seasons of sadness, but that is exactly where we're going this morning. So once again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling this room and filling us and preparing our heart for this message today. Uh, amen. We're in this new teaching series that starts today called Journey of the Soul. Six weeks, we'll, we'll cover six common stages on that path, on that walk that, again, Isaac just talked about, from confidence a day we come to saving faith in Jesus, to hitting the wall, or as Isaac said, desolation, sadness, great grieving or mourning, all the way on to even maybe the stage where we're leading others in our faith. That's what this whole teaching series is about. And we have this cultural value as a church, these value statements even. And one of them is soul work, that at least once a year we're going to do a teaching series on the soul, because that's who we are. We want to look inward and explore the depths of who we are as a person, who we're becoming, uh, past, present, and future. You know, there's some stuff in there, isn't there? If you come from a family that was imperfect, and then that's all of us, by the way. <laughs> if you have a story or a history or a family that's imperfect, there's some stuff to mine and some stuff to work through. I find it hard, even as a man, to answer the question, what am I feeling right now? And what am I feeling about what I'm feeling? That's a whole other layer deeper of how I could mine that puppy, right? And so that's one example of what the soul could be. We don't really know what the soul is. It's kind of hard to figure. How can you peg the soul? Like, I'd ask you, where is it? Like, which part on your anatomy is the soul? And that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be more teaching and training than maybe preaching. I want to do a training on the mind, body, and soul and where those are kind of in our anatomy and why they matter so much. That's going to be the big idea today is to really peg down what is the soul. But I want to start with a kind of a tension question. Most of us are familiar with the phrase when Jesus went to the disciples. And what did he say? What was his question to them? Will you follow me? Come, actually. He says it as a statement. Come and follow me. And in the Jewish system of discipleship, rabbi-disciple relationship, That was the same thing as saying, you can be like me. Come follow me, you can be like me. I want to create some tension right now with what I'm about to say. A lot of us, maybe all of us in the room, have confidence in Jesus to save us. I hope you do. If you don't, come after, let's pray. But but as a believer, you have confidence in, in the blood of Jesus to save us, to give us eternal life. Like That's pretty foundational, bedrock peace. I believe... That when I die, I'm going to live forever. I have confidence in that. But how many of us have confidence that 
Jesus can change us here and now on this earth. We know we're getting to heaven. Can he build heaven in us while we're still living on earth? There's a kind of a friction there, right? Like we believe that he can get us to heaven, but can he create heaven here and now inside us? Do we have confidence? Today's step and stage in that journey of the soul is confidence. I want you as a result of understanding the soul, the mind, the body, and how they relate to have confidence in Christ's ability to change and grow you into a complete, mature human being and a complete and mature Christian. But it's a challenge, isn't it? What is the soul? What does it have to do with our life change? We're going to start right away with a definition from the book that we're using. We're using this book called Journey of the Soul by Bill Galtier and his wife, Christy. And he says this, he says, your soul isn't a wispy little ghost inside you that floats up to heaven when you die, like it's portrayed in the movies. It's actually your whole person flowing out from deep inside you. It encompasses your body and expands even outside your body into your social world. In other words, your soul is so large that that your body is actually inside your soul. That's why people in the same room, you guys maybe had this experience. You ever been in a room? You can just kind of feel, this is not voodoo. We're not going outside the Bible. It's just like energy or moods or right, how someone's even doing. You just, before they even open their mouth, they're like, something's going on with that guy or with that gal. Just even when they enter the room, right? That's what you're experiencing is the soul of, a, of another human being. Interesting, isn't it? Anyone here ever placed your soul as outside your body? I hadn't until this teaching series, until doing this study to prepare for this week. I thought maybe it was that wispy thing that floats up to heaven. Interesting. We have to have a, an appropriate anatomy of where the, the, the soul, the heart, mind, and body, and even the will. The will is a huge part of this discussion today. Why do I do what I want to do, but not what I don't want to do? Why do I do what I don't want to do, Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Paul, the epic leader of the church, wrote most of the New Testament books, like church planter, leader of all of them. He said that. Why do I do what I don't want to do, and then I do sometimes what I do want to do? You see his will, like, torn asunder. Anyone ever had that experience before? It's, it's what the legendary biblical philosopher, his name's Dallas Willard, he suggested is a huge part of growing and maturing, is understanding the mind, the body, the soul, and even the will. And that's what we're going to do today. Before I show you Dallas Willard's famous anatomy diagram of the mind, body, soul, and will, I want to say this really quick. Number one, the soul, it's kind of hard to describe. It's complicated by design. So we won't peg it perfectly. So maybe that's just an excuse, but we're starting there. Number two, if you can embrace the following anatomy, like the definitions we're going to go through, mind, body, soul, will, you can really seriously begin to see breakthrough in your life. I went through a class called Renewing the Mind. It's one of our, 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 our small groups. It, it's kind of class and small group, and the signups are in the lobby. I did that, that class six months ago, and it forever changed me, changed me, because I started to understand how my will works and how my mind works. It's profound. And if you get that even 5% today, you can, you can be a part of God's changing work in your life today, in your character today. You'll know how these parts fit together, and you'll understand how to grow and change and mature. This is what um, Jesus said in Mark 12. This is our theological framework for this, okay? This is the greatest command. The whole Bible, 66 books, is filtered through this one verse, Jesus says. When someone came up to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all, everyone say it with me, with all your heart and with all your, say it with me, soul and with all your, and with all your, 
The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Interesting. The whole Bible is pulled through this one scene. Jesus says you have to interpret the whole Bible. All the law and the prophets and all the other commandments, everything in the Old Testament, New Testament, filtered through this one verse. And we're walking around the earth like, what do I feel? Where is my soul? Where is my mind? There's a line from a song, right? Where is my mind? Lost my mind. You have small children? You don't know where your mind is. You lost it, right? And so this, but God, Jesus says, the whole deal is about your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is another word for your body. And we're just trying to place those things. We don't even know where they are anatomically. We got to get this right, folks. And that's why today we're going to do a little bit of teaching and training. This is where Dallas Willard um, places the anatomy of these parts, okay? He places the spirit. You can see it right there in the middle. Uh, The spirit is also called in the Bible, it'll use the word heart or will interchangeably with what we're going to call the spirit. Uh, The outer, the circle beyond that, the mind, where you have thoughts and feelings, the mind. Pretty funny, and I learned this all over again this last week. We often think of the mind being your brain. Is the brain more body or mind? Anyone? As one of your organs? Body or mind? Come on, you can answer. You get to play along today. It's great. Is the brain more mind or body? Which one? I think maybe we could be 50-50, but it's in your anatomy. It's in your physical anatomy. I mean, that's, your brain is your body. Pretty crazy, huh? Thoughts and feelings placed in the mind. Outer circle beyond that. Body, outer circle beyond that. Social. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Got to get that part right, too. If your soul is out here, it's bumping against other people's souls. And the social piece really matters. And then the, the circle beyond that soul. As you see, it's even out beyond that. The word and the spirit enters, Dallas says, comes in. That's saving faith. That's the first confidence we have. When you meet Jesus for the first time and you say, I believe I'm done trusting my self-salvation projects. I'm done. I can't do it. You got to decide one day. and You say, I can't save myself. I know my deepest, darkest sin. I can't save myself. And you stop with that nonsense and you say, I'm going to place my trust. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to place it on Jesus. And you get that first confidence. That's what the line going in says. The word and the spirit of Christ enters and breaks us and levels us and saves us. And, and then what goes out? The evoking faith in Christ, which establishes communion with God. The, the secret answer at the end of this whole thing today, we're going to go through the anatomy. That's cool. That's fun. You might fall asleep. Sorry. But the thing you should know about the, why the anatomy matters is because we build this up. We fortify our mind, body, soul, and strength by doing community with other believers. So communion with God and communion with the people of God is the answer. Like that's the answer for how to fortify your mind, body, soul, and strength. The word of God and the people of God. That's how I'm going to end today's message is that same phrase. And so let's go, let's go through them one at a time, shall we? shall we? Shall we do that? Pause for hydration. Okay, first one is the will. So let's do, uh, I'm going to give you a little operating definition of the will. This is straight from Dallas Willard or sometimes called in the Bible the spirit of the heart. The will, which is equated to the spirit or the heart in biblical terms, is the central capacity to create and to originate things and events. It's meant to be captive under God for good, though. You have this will, just like the same will that existed in the garden with Adam and Eve, and you're allowed, you're permitted to choose right or wrong. You're permitted to do those things, but in the perfect 
soul order of things, you, you choose to submit your will to God for good. Think about that. It is the central capacity to create or originate things. The will is a pretty incredibly endowed freedom that we get from God. It, and it is a freedom. The will is a sort of freedom, a delegated authority that God gives to Adam and Eve in the garden. He, doesn't he? He lets them choose. And he says, you have some authority on earth to, to name the animals and to tend the garden, Adam and Eve. That's a, an authority that God gives to human beings to manage and steward the earth and to steward your relationships and every other thing. And so under that delegated authority from God Almighty, we have this will, this choice, this freedom. But in its optimum design, it's bent toward the will and way of God. You get this freedom? Isn't that a riot? Isn't that a riot? You get this freedom, and then where's it going to go? If it's optimum, where's it going to go? You immediately just surrender that puppy, okay? It's given to you as a, as a free delegation, and then where, if you want to do it God's way, you can do it your own way. And you've tried that, like me. How did it go for you? Did it go okay when you did the, the, the tantruming toddler thing? Did it work out well? I've done it. I have some scars and bumps and bruises to prove it. But if you want to do it God's way, you, you, the perfect place for the will is surrendered to God. Every one of us has this area of governance where we express our effective will. Amazing. You can hate it or love it. You can pre- pretend it's not true, but it's facts. Facts. Every one of us is given that, that will. God will not override it. He'll work with it, but he won't override it. Crazy, huh? He will not coerce us. He will not steamroll us. He will not strong arm us. He may put some circumstances in our way. He may put some trials or difficulties in our way to influence us and direct us on this path, this journey, but he won't do it for you. He'll partner with the will, but he won't override the will. So pop quiz. This is like going really real, really fast. But it's a question we got. Last Sunday, we did our Q&A at the end of the message. The question we got then, and it's a question we get all the time. Does God send people to hell, or do they choose it? I know, I told you it's going to get real really quick, okay? Does, does God send people there, or do we choose it? <clears throat> Listen to this. This all comes from Dallas Willard. I thought this was pretty profound. Remember, hell, in its essence, is separation from God. We'll just leave it there for this morning. If you want to hear more, go back to Bucky's message three, four weeks ago on judgment out of the book of Revelation. Incredible job. Hell is essentially separation from God. How could anyone want to choose separation from God? I'll ask it a different way. Who? Who would choose, given the choice, who would choose separation from God? Flip that question around. If you were someone who didn't very much like God, how could anyone who doesn't like God Enjoy him forever and eternity. You ever think about that? Did you follow me on that? Think about it. You all in this room, it's hard for us to imagine because we love God. We want more relationship with God. We may struggle and we may backslide and all of that, but most of us are like trying to get our gravity and our center more oriented around God. But for the person who says, I'm not buying into that God thing and I don't like God and God is maybe the most evil, wicked, pointer finger, angry God that ever lived, would it not be hell to be with that person for eternity? Do you see how that affects the will? So God says, you can choose, right? Lastly, most importantly, how would you know your will is acting in, in peak mature, maturity? Like I said, this morning is a lot about growing and maturing as believers, but also as, as whole persons. 
How would you know if your will is acting in peak maturity? And we've already said it, but the answer is when it's completely surrendered to God. Look at Psalm 25. Psalm 25 says, show me your ways. Journey of the soul. Show me your ways in this journey, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. That's a life surrendered to God. When you say, God, show me, teach me, instruct me, I'm under your instruction. I'm surrendering my will all day long. If you've arrived there, peak maturity, okay? Peak maturity. Because there's a couple hours a day I let slip. And I'm like, God, eh, my will is pretty hopped up right now. I'm just going to follow it down this rabbit trail. And I fall out of God's way. Out of his perfect plan for my life. Surrendered will is a, is a sign of peak maturity. The psalmist cries, have your way, Lord. Have your way. That's how you can even learn to surrender your will. Say those words out loud as you start your day. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, not my way, your way. Your will be done. Why did Jesus say to pray that way? This day, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way, have your way, have your way. Let's go to the mind next. The mind, where thoughts, feelings, this is our favorite place, isn't it? Anyone run away with their feelings this morning? Oh, this is fun. It isn't too much of an exaggeration to say that our basic freedom is where we put our mind. It's not unlimited, our mind. It's not, it surely has limits. I think we've shown that with how we spend so much time consuming data where our, our mind would explode. That's what that line means. Like, we're not supercomputers, but we spend 10 hours a day on a supercomputer. Do you see how one of these is not like the other? 10 hours a day on a supercomputer. This is not a supercomputer. This has limits. The mind has limits of what you can take in and process. And so it's not unlimited, but it is a freedom. If you, want to, if you choose to spend 10 hours a day on a screen, you may. But we can be captured by thoughts. But our choice as to where we put our mind is what most determines where we go. Is that profound already? You get to choose. But where you put your mind is one of the greatest determining factors of where you'll go. I understand the mind is kind of ethereal, like how do we peg it, how do we place it? I don't know, that's a little gray area, Ben. But there's nothing gray about where you'll go, is there? No, 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 I mean the direction of your physical body in your life. Place your mind and there your body and life will follow. And we've all experienced that, I think, first, firsthand in the places where we put our minds. There's an old saying, so goes the leader, so goes the church. Uh, so goes the CEO, so goes the organization. You can, you can put that on down the line. So goes the parents, so goes the family. It works here too. <clears throat> so goes the mind, so goes the man or woman. The mind is centered. Here's the interplay of that diagram. I won't put it back up again, but you guys got it in your mind, right? Will was first, and the mind builds and feeds off of the will. And so they're working intimately together. One has to submit to the other. This is maturity, this is a description of peak maturity. I will, this is what the mind says as it submits to the will, which the will hopefully is surrendered to God. If you get that in order, the will is surrendered to God. And if that's true, then my thoughts and feelings will submit to the will. And here's what the will says. The will says, I will accept the truth. I will abandon my beliefs, my hopes, if necessary, to put my life back in alignment with whatever is true. 
I should have made that a slide. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't know that was going to hit so hard. That's so good. Dude, you say, I will abandon my beliefs or my hopes, if necessary, to put them in back in alignment, my, my feelings, my emotions. I will put them back in alignment with what I know is true. Two weeks ago, I, I borrowed another lyric from a, a, a folk music band. And they said, sometimes in life, you've got to exchange what you feel for what you know. Because feelings are increasingly deceiving, aren't they? They're insanely deceiving. They're good. They're from God. Jesus wept. What does that mean? Jesus felt. We feel. It's okay to feel. But the best picture I ever saw was from Pete Scazzaro. You can get his stuff too. And he puts the will in the, in the engine of the train. Okay? I want train imagery. I got train imagery for you this morning. Okay? And the engine is driving that puppy. Where do the feelings and emotions have to go? They got to go back here somewhere. Okay? They can't be driving the train. I do that too often in my life, and I let the emotions and feelings drive the train, you're headed for disaster, right? So you submit it, even if it means abandoning beliefs and hopes. Do you want to know the predicament we have today, you guys? Here's the predicament that we're, if you, even if you didn't, I'm going to tell you anyways. Here's the predicament that we're in today. There was a time, nah, let's just call it before the internet. Let's just, I'll just, for the sake of argument, before the time of internet, maybe. And people, in order to compose their beliefs and their hopes, what they knew about the world, would have to go talk to other people and inform their beliefs and their hopes uh, and their interpretations of the world. And then the internet came along, and I was able to say, nope, I got it. I don't need any outside help. I saw a video today. Was it a completely doctored video? Was it edited by God knows who in the, alone in their basement somewhere? Yeah, maybe, but I know that video is true because <laughs> I saw it today, so I know it's true because I saw it. Anyone tracking with me? That's how we find out what's true today and what we believe. And we even let that guide our hopes and our aspirations. Well, I saw a video today. That's how I know it's true. One, one author said that what has become the, the nucleus, like the center for deciding what is right and true, is self. The whole world now, you don't need outsiders. You don't need Christian brothers and sisters. You don't need uh, you know, mentors who are older than you, that have lived more life than you, to, to speak into your life and your hopes and your beliefs and your aspirations. Because you know. And there's something desperately wrong with the society when you only have to look so far as yourself to decide what's right and wrong. That's why I say the answer for today, where this goes, is get with the word of God and the people of God above all. And you can help with your thoughts, your feelings, your mind. Romans 7 says this, I love God's law with all my heart. It's the same chapter where Paul is saying, I do what I want to do, but sometimes I don't do what I want to do. Why do I do what I don't want to do? He's going back and forth. It's amazing. Read the whole chapter. Read the whole chapter. But Paul says, I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my, say it with me, with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. He's talking about thoughts, feelings. And he's talking about surrendering those thoughts, feelings to the will of God. How does he know? This is a perfect punctuation to the illustration I just gave. How does he know what God's will is? His perfect and pleasing will? The law of God in my heart. You could translate that as the Bible for a modern day audience. The Bible is the way you're going to find out how to submit your will and know what's right and to know where to place your beliefs and your hopes. There's, there's, a, there's a great picture here about how our minds, 
our feelings and our emotions can direct our whole lives. Did you know that you can spot the difference between a person who feels God hates them? Follow with me. You can, between a person who feels that God hates them and a person who feels that God loves them, did you know you can tell the difference between those two people by looking at their brain scan? The person who feels that God hates them and the person who feels that God loves them. You can see the evidence of that belief in their brain scan. The person that feels that God hates them, do they have issues with their social relationships? Do they have have issues with their attachments? Do they push people away? Do they feel hated? Do they feel valued and and respected and honored deep in their soul? When you have that that lens of God, how you feel, how you think about God, actually ends up being hugely determinative of your life the quality and direction of your life. How your thoughts and feelings even may deceive you and you're in the picture of God in this world. This is why I'm constantly chipping away at our images of God. So much of what you may think about God, ask yourself the question, am I projecting that on God or does God say that about God? Am I, did I get this picture of God like him being wrathful and judgmental and unforgiving and unmerciful and not near to me when I need him? Did, did, did I say that or did God say that about him? You, you ought to trust what God says about himself, not what your misconception says about God. And so much of our relating to God, our, our thoughts and feelings about God is what we projected on him because of maybe our fractured relationships, our broken world that we live in. And we say, that must be how God is. I'm going to grab that and I'm just going to go assign that to him. A much better path would be to see what the Word of God says about him and apply that to your imagery of God. Dallas, just the summary of these two so far, the will and the mind, what's in the mind and what's in the feelings and what's in the will is going to be hugely determinative of my whole life. Just these two already. Can you see that? A surrendered will will lead to this journey in these ways of God. And a mind, which the thoughts and feelings that are surrendered to the will, that surrender to God, hugely determinative of the direction and quality of your life. In a major, major way, just these first two. A lot of us get, get thinking, well, let me make this even more practical for our daily lives. There's lots of ways we could fix this. I know how I can fix my unhappiness. I know how I can fix my anxiety and depression. I know how I can fix um, fill in the blank, right? If you don't understand the anatomy of the mind, heart, body, soul, and the social aspect... You're going to be barking up the wrong tree all the time to fix these things that are so deep inside you. And so when you say, I just need more money, I'd be happy. No, you don't. You need worship and gratitude. That's what worship does. When we come here and we sing songs, even if you don't know the words, we come here and we sing songs. It's a snapback for our heart and our mind and our will to say, oh yeah, you're more than enough. The world without the Bible, is already preaching this. Gratitude, you guys wake up and you see your blogs and your social media posts, wake up with gratitude, seven things about gratitude. Hey man, did you get through your seven gratitude things? Did you feel gratitude, gratitude? Where did they get that idea? The Word of God. And it works, it works. But it's because it comes from the Word of God. Gratitude, worship. You don't need money, you don't need a raise, you need worship and gratitude. I just wish I had more friends and the right friends, the right kind of status friends. No, you don't, you just need to find your validation and your worth in Jesus. I mean, you may be lonely. Get in a small group. We've just said that a couple of times, you know? But I just need the right kind of friends. These friends are maybe garbage. They don't, have the, they don't bring the right social status. You may need to find your validation through the word of God, the law of God and Jesus. Well, if only I had the right job and the right status, I'd be more influential. What if Mother Teresa said that? 
I've only had the right job with the right status, and it just projected to the world a little bit about my status. What if she had said that? World famous, right? When I say her name, world famous across all religions, and she's in a gutter, y'all. She's in a gutter. So, no, you don't. Go to the body. The body, this is super underrated and misunderstood as well. The body is sometimes wrongly thought of as an evil or a bad. It's not. Everyone say it with me. It's not. No, no, come on, guys. This is payback for all the garbage you ever heard about from the church, maybe. And the pastor comes up and says, it's naughty. Your body, it's dirty. So this is your chance to get him back, okay? Here we go, sitting together. A lot of times it's thought of as evil or bad. It's not. It's good. A wonderful creation of God. I like to think of the body as God's little power pack that he's given to each one of us to act from. Your body is the primary place you can redirect your life. Everything in life requires physical power or energy. In this, you engage your body. So if the will was the mover, remember that was like where you generate and you create from the will, then the body is the doer. This entire conversation is about self, by the way. If you feel like a muddied or, or disrupted sense of self, this is the message. Go back and listen to it after today, too. This is about integrating your sense of self. How do we... Ben, I, how, how do I create the vision of self that I so badly want? How do I work towards and create that vision? Self is character. Look at this simple definition of, of self. Self equals your character, and your character, where, this is totally algebra, you're welcome, where character equals the sum of our actions. That's facts. Do our works get us into heaven? No. Stop doing that, okay? Just stop doing that. You don't have to have that tired debate anymore. But at the same time, your character, yourself, is built on this fruitfulness, like the fruitfulness of your life. What, you, what you've done with your, in your body moves your will and your thoughts and your feelings into action in this world. That's just how it works. Our bodies are the movers. Your body is also um, where habits live. Do you realize that? You ever felt that before? A lot of us are reading the self-help books or the self-help blogs and we think, man, habit training, and I just need to work on my mind. It's all psychological. It's in your body where habits live. Have you ever set your alarm for like 40 days in a row and, uh, and all of a sudden you forgot to set it and you're just like bolt upright in the bed? That happened for me the other day. Set my alarm for 5 a.m. Do I snooze it? Of course I snooze it. But there was a good stretch there when I was like back on the wagon. I think that's the term of speech. And I was waking up at the alarm regularly. It could have been two weeks. I was like without fail, 5 a.m., and on that, like, 15th day, no alarm. And I was like, huh, this is a good time to start the day. Just woke right up. You ever had a similar experience? How about my kids' swim lessons, okay? We see this guy, his name's uh, Coach Mike O'Brien. And uh, he's phenomenal. You know what I'm talking about. Shout out for Mike O'Brien. Someone's like, meow, meow, meow. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good. He'll give you a rightful image of God on earth if you need a fixing of your image because he's just there and like the kids don't want to go in and yeah, he's going to dunk them anyway, but he does it so lovingly, you know? And these kids will learn two weeks, follow Coach Mike's system, man, two weeks and you just watch their mind, their thoughts, their feelings, and their will surrendered to their body now. They're just, their thoughts and their feelings and their, and their will are following their body. 
as they jump into the pool by the fourth day and they're like, oh, no more tears, no more gulping the water and spitting it up all over the place. Profound to see how the habits live in the body. And some of these silly examples, but maybe you have a, maybe a bad habit that you want to exchange for a good habit. Well, those things live in the body. That's how important when, when Jesus says your whole heart, mind, body, strength, soul, heart, mind, soul, strength, you could input their body. Incredibly relevant. The problem is, of course, we've picked up some nasty habits along the way. Scripture talks about this too. Look at Romans chapter 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal what? Body. Wow, interesting. So that you obey its desires. Do not present the parts of your what? Body to sin as instruments of wickedness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present the parts of your what? Body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. I'm going to move on. I, just, I think you guys got it. The body is where habits live. And Paul will give you a roadmap of how to exchange those bad habits with good ones. Okay? The maturing Christian puts to death, Paul says, he puts to death the old patterns in the body. Fascinating. Is it, am I the only one? Does you find that fascinating? The old patterns and the habits, and the, and the, it, he puts it to death in the body. Wow. Number four, social. We're almost there. Social. To be human is to do life with others. Aristotle says that anyone who lives alone is not a human being. <laughs> they may be a god, they may be a monster, but they're not a human being. That's aggressive, and it should be. Because too much of us, too many of us, have bought the lie, even for a season, I can do it alone. I'm a pretty mature Christian. I don't need the people of God. I can do it alone. And I am so convinced today that, that maybe 89% of our social ills, from the most extreme things to suicide and, and campus shootings to just even, you know, boilerplate depression, isolation. Isolation and loneliness. None of us were meant to live alone. Man or woman, none of us were meant to live alone. So the social piece that Jesus talks about, loving God, loving others as yourself, this is a huge part of the scheme. Do you want to test your, your level of maturity in this area? Here's your maturity level test. Do you spontaneously burst into love for your enemies? I, I mean, come on. Give me, a, give me a mature Christian out there, guys. Come on. Mature Christians. M- mature Christians. Where you at? <laughs> you don't need the people of God or the word of God anymore because you're so mature? How you doing with your enemy love? You just burst into giggles for your enemy? You just jump on your knees and start covering your enemy with prayers? I, I know for most of us, this is like step, step. If for, I'm saying for me, this is like down the road, man. I'm such a work in progress on this. And God's been humbling me all week for even a church leader like in this city who maybe does church a little differently than I would choose to do church preaches a little differently than I would even choose to preach. And in my heart, how much judgment that I need to reconcile towards this other faith leader. I mean, how can I even qualify him as an enemy? He's like a, he's like a fellow pastor. I got a lot of work to do in this whole love God, love others part. Maybe you feel like you do too. I love the story from Francisco He's our Spanish-speaking pastor from Mission El Camino. If you didn't know that, we planted a Spanish-speaking church. It's called Mission El Camino, or MEC for short. And Francisco had a car breakdown on the side of the 5 freeway this week. 
and um, a car he had just got fixed in Mexico. Paid a thousand bucks to get the car fixed in Mexico, and it, it, and then another part of it breaks like ten minutes past the border, and he had to wait for hours for the AAA guy to show up. And the AAA guy shows up, and he's like, "Hey, man, like you seem really calm. What's wrong with you?" And Francisco's like, um, "The real me is the one you get when I'm under pressure." Think about that. The real who I really am, in other words, my real self. My character is the one you get when I'm under pressure. He said that in our staff meeting last week, and it just about wrecked me. Because I'm so far from that, guys. Catch me in the middle of the 9 to 5 when I'm home with the toddlers and babies screaming and people making demands, and it's a mile a minute, and who am I there, Ben? Who are you there? Catch me there. And that's how I know that I have a confidence in Christ to change me in my will, in my mind, in my body, in the social aspect of my life. A huge part of the social aspect that we have to work through, this is less enemy love and more just everyday life. I want to give this last example. A huge part of why this is so hard is because our social life is built around attack and withdraw. Think about your social media communities. Is that not social media in a nutshell? Attack and withdraw. Like, oh man, this guy's got a different idea. I don't like it. I'm attacking it, right? Or, you know, that's kind of messy. I don't want to engage. I'm just going to withdraw. Our whole social systems, whether it be the workplace, in person, or online, are based off of attack and withdraw. That's the world's way to do social. Back to the circle and seeing all those circles from Dallas. And you have this whole circle around social. That social thing in the world standards is based off of attack and withdraw. So, so I'll give you a more kind of meaty example of how this, this plays out. Babies in the foster care system. Okay? Babies and young children who stay in the foster care system. And they age out of the foster care system. They're in the foster care system all the way to age 18. If they're lucky enough to not be in prison or to be on the streets at age 18, what are they like? They have an insanely difficult time with attack and withdraw because every single adult person in their life that was supposed to care for them and love them and provide for their basic needs betrayed them or maybe even abused them. And so now anyone that comes with something that even looks like a remotely good offer, what are they doing? Uh, no, I'm going to attack I'm gonna make you. I'm going to say you get the foster care placement and they're 13, there's a 13-year-old girl and she's placed in your house and she's just going to say the most nasty things to you in the whole world. Why? Attack and withdraw. And they do that because they want to make themselves rejectable. You want to know the sickest and saddest part about this attack and withdraw thing? And maybe some of you feel this today. And if, if you do, I want to pray for you afterwards. For deep inner soul healing but if you find yourself pushing people away and you never really knew why, maybe you have a wound. Mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, grandparent, whoever it was in your life that was supposed to care for you and love for you and take care of your essential basic needs, and they didn't. And so ever since then, you, you will push people away and you will make them reject you. You don't even know why you do it. It's happening at a deep, deep, where, where is it happening? At a deep will, mind, feelings, thoughts, body level. You don't even know you're doing it. You're making yourself rejectable. And I've known people like that. You only play 
The only play for that type of person, besides prayer, besides intercessory prayer that changes people, you pray for them from afar, you don't need to have another God conversation with them. You don't need to go in and try and convince them of the truths of Scripture. You tried it. It didn't work. You pray, pray, pray behind the scenes before you talk to them, before you see them, before you try and convince them again using logic or reason. The person who's in rejection wound is not using logic or reason. Their bad habit is in their body. It's in their body. They're rejecting you and pushing you away. It's in their very body. They don't even know they're doing it. So you're going to pray, 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 pray behind closed doors and behind the scene. And then if you do get an audience with them, whenever you get an audience with them, you know the one way to help someone stop rejecting others and rejecting themselves, you know what you do? You crush them with the love of Jesus. You crush them. You crush them, crush them, crush them, crush them, crush them. They will make it so hard for you to come after them with love and acceptance. They will make it so hard. They will make it so hard for you to love them. And you will love them anyways. They will speak badly to you to your face and behind your back. And you will, to, your fa- to their face, act like it never happened. You will pretend, pretend, pretend all day long. And you will fake it until they make it. That's what actually happens. I know that's a negative term for someone out there. But you will fake it with your body loving them. And watch what happens inside them. Watch them change before your, own, your very eyes. And they will become lovable again. And you will help heal that inner wound of attack and withdrawal. That's why this whole social piece is in the diagram. That's why Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. Think about that the other way around. The person who doesn't love themselves, how are they ever going to love someone else? They have such a distorted perception of identity and self and their character. It's so ripped asunder. They're going to go out and just love other people now? And maybe that's you. And if that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. I'm just going to go all the way to the end because the band's got to come up. And um, the last part that I'll give you is this picture of the soul. We're going to skip forward and the, as the band comes up. The soul. The soul is that part of the person that integrates all the other dimensions to make one life. Like I said, it's hard to conceptualize. But we do sense when it is strong and when it is weak. Soul, you guys. Today was supposed to be about the soul. You got the whole picture, like I said. Um, the soul is the integration of all those parts we just talked about. What does integration sound like? It sounds like integrity. When you say, oh man, he or she, they were a man or a woman of integrity. What are you actually saying? They have this integrated mind, body, soul strength. It's so beautiful to see. One of the words in scripture that's used for this is life. So if you look at um, Luke chapter 9, 24, this is Jesus. If you try to hang on to your life, the, the Greek word for soul is life. You'll lose it. But if you give up your life for, this, for my sake, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed, or your, your soul is lost or destroyed? You, you, you know, the answer is nothing. You benefit nothing. I love that the word for um, soul is interchangeable with life. One of my favorite movies, I know we got really heavy, but now come along with me. We'll go light again. One of my favorite 80s movies. I think that this movie is a template for 80s films. It's called Moonstruck. Features Cher. And Cher, who's this great, you know, Hades singer and performer, plays this, this aging daughter and a great Roman Catholic, Italian Roman Catholic family, which is relatable to me. And um, she comes home after a, a long night. It's like more like early morning. 
of dancing and dating. And her mom, they're both, you know, her mom's hung over because she had her own weird thing. And they sit at the table, at the dining room table, and um, the mom informs her that her fiance is coming back from Italy. And she's like, what? Oh, no. She's still in her outfit from the night before. And the mom, I love what she says. She says, what's the matter with you, Loretta? Your life's going down the toilet. Ever felt that way before? Ever felt like your very life going down the toilet? Life, soul, soul, life. The integration of all of the parts that we just finished talking about. Take heart. Take heart in what God said about um, Caleb. Look at this amazing picture of Caleb and Joshua. Fractured soul. Talk about that. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly. I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. There's this amazing picture. This is the last thing I'm going to say. This amazing picture of God's chosen people, the Israelites. And they're wandering through the desert and they're supposed to occupy the promised land, Israel, right? And on the eve of that occupation, the leaders of that community send 12 scouts one nominated from each of the 12 tribes. And all of them go in and they look and they see, oh man, it's so true what God said. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. But some of these guys, some of these soldiers in that town look kind of gruff. They look kind of mean. And all the scouts come back to to the elders of Israel and and 10 of them just poo-poo the whole thing. And, oh man, you don't want to go. And the the Bible says in Numbers chapter 14 that they seeded these myths and rumors even say, oh, there's giants in that land. You don't want to go. We shouldn't do this. And Caleb and Joshua, get this now, because they're integrated, because they're so strong, it impacted their whole vision of what they saw. They look into the land and they say, God has already handed it over to us. Guys, today we're living in a land of giants. Today we're living in a land where you look at it and you say, oh man, I don't want to go. Maybe we shouldn't go. The only thing that's going to help your vision for when you see those scenarios and those circumstances to have a God vision for what's the reality is if your soul and your spirit and your mind are strong and your will is surrendered wholeheartedly to God. That's how they could see the circumstances and say, God's got this. Because they were soul strong. And we're living in the same time and age today. When you look over the hill and you peer over and you think, no way, there's no way we could do it. God can't do it. I can't do it. God can't do it. You have a fractured soul that needs fortifying with what? The word of God and the people of God. Let's pray. And during the song, you can take communion. There's communion stations at the front too and the back too. And you take it when you're ready. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you so much for how you make us strong through your spirit. When we are weak, you are strong. God, I pray that you would fortify every single person here with um, your Holy Spirit. As we take the elements, renew our spirits, God. Renew our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our will. Renew us, God. Make us new again in you for this week that we're about to face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you're ready, go and take communion. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.